Welcome to the Confident and Courageous Clarity Podcast with me, Jatia Jones. Join us weekly for everything clarity. The truth is, once you have clarity, you'll have the confidence and courage to succeed in life and business. If you're new to the podcast, you should know my goal is to help you gain the clarity needed to transform your visions, goals, or dreams into reality. For my OG listeners, you all know that the podcast was birthed from the evolution of Mocha Monday's tip of the week. So when we moved to the podcast, I couldn't just leave you without your mocha. Therefore, at the beginning of each episode, I give you your drop of mocha and you are to implement it throughout the week to help inch you closer and closer to clarity. This week's drop of mocha is, if you don't sacrifice for what you want, what you want becomes the sacrifice. I want you guys to stand firm in what you want. Choose you. Your dreams are valid. They're worth chasing and going after. That big audacious goal that people tell you you shouldn't pursue, why not? Why not you? Remember, who gonna check you, boo? You can do what you want. And always remember, if you don't sacrifice for what you want, what you want becomes the sacrifice. Don't regret not chasing after your dream one day. So now let's jump into this week's episode. Brie Sedano is a nationally recognized personal finance expert and the founder of Sheep to Shark. She offers cash, confident, and community for women who want wealth and can teach you to manage, save, and invest your money. Hello, how are you today? Amazing, best day ever. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm so excited to talk to you again this week um, to share your your mindset and your thought processes with the world, but especially my multi-passionate entrepreneurs out here and my solopreneurs transitioning into real entrepreneurship with teams and things. Um, and so would you just tell the people who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Bree Sedano and I'm a money coach. I own a business called Sheep to Shark. And what we, what I basically do is I help get more hands, more money in the hands of good women. Like that's, that's, uh, that's what I do. I used to sell stocks and bonds and mutual funds and my clients were coming to see me and they were not having problems that would be solved with better mutual fund choices. They were coming to see me and they were like, Brie, I make a lot of money. I'm still in debt. Brie, I want to quit this job and start my business. Brie, my kids are about to go to college and I'm still paying on my own student loans. Like basically what am I doing wrong here with this money? And so I started working with my clients on cash flow and helping them figure out like what money needs to go where. And I was giving them these very sexy budgets, like very spreadsheet-tastic, like top mm-hmm. of the line. And then they weren't doing them. And I was so butthurt about it. Uh, and so then I was like, all right, well, these are smart, successful, amazing people. Like what's going on here? And so then we, what I realized is like for most people, a financial plan isn't really enough. And so then we started working on habits to go with their plan and that worked better, but it wasn't like, mm, it, it wasn't, it was good, but it wasn't like hitting, really hitting the mark. And so then we started working on mindset habits and a plan. And then we started to really see some good results. And then we added in a layer of like emotional intelligence to go with the mindset, to go with the habits, to go with the plan. And then we started knocking it out of the park. You add in a little like community with that. And now all of a sudden these clients are set up for long-term wealth building success. And so 
once I started having like a level of impact and really, I love doing the nerdy cash flow work and getting into people's mindsets and figuring out like, oh, this one time when your mom told you, you couldn't have a lollipop, you made it mean that you're never going to have what you want for the whole rest of your life. Let's just change that idea. And um, so then I started Sheep to Shark. Actually, just, just this week is my fifth year, fifth birthday for Sheep to Shark. And um, yeah, and so that's, that's what I do. And so my work is kind of split in and into two so some of the work that I do I have like a membership where where anybody can join w2 workers starting a business a small business um, and people kind of come in and learn those basics of wealth building and then I have a high like a high-end high ticket high touch mastermind for uh for women already doing six figures who are working more towards seven figures was that all the things yes 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 and happy birthday um this is so exciting I so when we first talked the thing that really stood out to me is one your heart for your people and then two your journey to get to ship to shark right um so you really understand the drive and the motivation behind business and money and and a real why and so the emotional intelligence piece was amazing because so many people especially those that are at the nine to five, trying to leave the nine to five, already doing the five to nine. They think it's all the tips and the tools and the, and we tell them all the time, it starts with your mindset, right? And they always don't embrace it as much as they should. Um, but the emotional intelligence piece and connecting the dots, um, for those who follow the podcast for a while, you know about the ABCs to clarity and C is connecting the dots from your past, present to where you want to go, as well as connecting with people. And so I was thinking, oh my goodness, we have to have her on because she knows all the buzzwords um, and she's like my best friend in my head and she doesn't even know it. And so let's dive in a little bit more into no, no, no. Let me rewind because I'm excited if you can't tell. I want them to know all the things. So a good portion of them have already switched over to um, full-time entrepreneurship. And of course, who doesn't want to scale their business and their baby to seven figures? So this is a great episode for those of you who are on your way there. That's where you desire to be. And those of you who are trying to get there. So I know you have like these six points to actually be able to scale your business from six to seven figures. So I'm going to, I'm going to just follow your lead. So what's, what's uh, our points today? Yeah. So I'll just open up and share. So my business, so we, we, when I started, I think the first year I, I started what in June and I did about 80, almost 90,000, like high eighties. And then the next year we almost doubled. And then the next year, again, we almost doubled from that. And then last year we went from about 300 to, to just over 500. And that was a lot of growth happening really, really fast. And uh, I learned some lessons, maybe not the easiest, most gentle way. And so when I look back in hindsight about growth and uh, really growing a business and scaling it, these are some of the things that I learned. So the, the first thing is at first, when we first get started, revenue is king. Like when we first get started, we have to make that money. Like, because if you're not making money, you can't quit your job. You can't buy groceries. You can't do anything. And so, and for most of us, when we first get started, it's just us. We're just on our own. Maybe we have a little support from a VA or like a contractor of some sort, but, but we don't have like a team yet. 
And so revenue is a cool focus and that really works. But as you start to grow and scale, what I typically, what, what I frequently, and not always, but sometimes I see happening is my clients reduce their take-home income and put everything in, into the business. And really what happens there is that we get to this place where we feel like we're living, where, where we kind of feel like our business is a house of cards, like, because we're, we're on the brink of starvation, where we're growing and flourishing, and we look very successful from the outside. People be like, hey, girl, I see you on socials, and you're doing great. And you're like, doing my bank, my, my own bank balance is like, uh, uh, not, not right, not there. And so one of the shifts that we have to make when we're, when we're growing is we have to teach, shift from that revenue, like focus to the focus of salary for self, like owner pay. And then we have to focus on profitability. And when the way that I kind of explain it to my clients is that we want to think of our role in our business is really twofold. Because if you're working in your business, you are, you know, you're not like a technical employee, or maybe you are like, I get paid like payroll, right? But we do work in the business and we need to be paid as an employee for what the, the literal work that we're doing in the business. And then we want to be paid as an owner for owning the business. Now, as time goes, we're hoping to set up enough systems and build enough team that eventually we're just the owner and we're not the, the we're not doing that techni technician work. If you've ever read, uh, uh, what is it? The E-Myth. Um, and so we have to really look at those things because we don't want to build a business that's built on free labor. Like it's, a, it's a highly ineffective. So that's one of the first shifts that you you really want to do. And uh, it's it sounds it sounds obvious, but so many entrepreneurs chase revenue and because we see the two comma club awards and we watch people make a ton of money and like, you know, we get a little like maybe we compare ourselves a little bit like and that that revenue piece like what's funny is I've been to a few funnel hacking lives and I don't know if you're I, I, I you told me that some here so you know um click funnels and all the things and it's so funny because sometimes you see people getting these two comma club awards but you know them personally and you know that they spent nine hundred and ninety two thousand dollars you know nine hundred and ninety two thousand dollars to make that million bucks and you're like right what are we really celebrating here what are because yeah. by the time you build out the ads and you you know you, and you spend all the money on the ad spend, you know it's very easy to get wrapped up chasing that top line revenue. So that's one of the that's that as you grow and scale, you have to shift your financial focus from revenue to being able to pay yourself consistently, appropriately, and then making sure that your business is profitable. And you can, they it doesn't, the order that you do that in, you know, some people don't take a salary, they only take owner distributions, but it's the point that you're one being paid adequately for the work that you're literally doing and you're taking a profit as your, as a business owner, you should be able, you want to be focused on those two things, no matter like the, the semantics of salary or draw or whatever, it doesn't exactly matter as long as they're on point with that. Let's dive into that really quickly because you're so, so right. And I try to tell people all the time that no one buys your desperation. And when you're focused on revenue, you normally end up going into desperation mode at some point in time, right? Because like you said, it's like my personal bank account does not look like I'd want it to look. Or if you quit the nine to five, it doesn't look how it used to look, right? You're used to that paycheck coming in twice a week. I mean, twice a month, whether you went to work or not, right? And so it's, I 
attempt to really force the focus on the why, focus on the why, your effect versus the effect, right? And it keeps you on track with actually selling the thing that they want, right? Selling the result that they're buying because they really don't buy products and services. They buy results of those products and services. Um, and so most individuals don't go into it thinking about taking a um, owner's draw because they're like, I'm going to do the work until I can make the profit and then I'll just pay myself. And so I'm so happy that you brought up both of those things because if something happens to you, then then what, right? The business can't function around just solely you. So my solopreneurs going into entrepreneurship with the team, they really, really need to um, understand that and and have that as a North Star or as a focus so that they're not just working for free the entire time the business is functioning and calling it a business because they are expensive. So like you said, if you're putting in almost a million dollars and then you hit that million dollars in revenue, what are we really celebrating? Because you made like $2, if that. Mm, yeah. And when we want to replace ourselves, if we were working for free, that becomes very, very difficult. So as we want to replace our tasks, we're not going to get anybody else to do it for free. So if you underpay yourself, your business won't be literally financially strong enough to replace yourself. And you'll, you'll always be chasing. It just puts you in a space of always chasing. And so what that does is it changes the time frame a little bit. Like there's a, it, an Patience, I think, might be the probably the best word. It's like sometimes we get a little urgency around our time and like how fast this is supposed to happen. I will tell you, I thought for sure I was going to make a million dollars my first year in business, which like when I look back on it, I'm like, mm. <laughs> oh, girl, like that doesn't even make sense. And, you know, that set me up for a time, like mentally, this place of always feeling like I was behind, always feeling like I was rushing, always feeling like somehow, like there was something wrong here because I wasn't there yet. And none of that is true. But it doesn't matter because that's the place I was making decisions from. And that really caused me personally to chase a lot of revenue, as opposed to like profitability, which is, and I'm going to share this with you because I think it's so funny because like, listen, when I work with my clients, I see very, very clearly all of the things going on for them because I'm not them. I get that objective. I get that objective point of view. I get to look at their money and it's just math to me. It's just math. I get to look at their systems and I'm like, Oh, I can, you're leaking here. I can see this because to me, it's not my baby. It's mm -hmm. not my money. It's just math. It's just math and a business structure. Like ding, ding, ding. And I would say, like, if you asked me a question, I would look at your math and I would look at your business and, and I would tell you with absolute certainty, here's the problem and here are three different potential ways we could solve it. Like, here, here's what we could do here. And none of us have that level of objectivity when it comes to our own junk, which honestly is annoying if you ask me, but it's like Very. super annoying. Because like, when I look at somebody else's stuff, I'm like, oh, crystal clear, perfect. But when it's my stuff, my feelings are all wrapped up in it and my past effort is all in it and my feelings of failure or success or stupidity or like whatever else is all tangled yeah. in to the way that I approach everything. And so I want to just mention that because I think it's really important that we're gentle with ourselves as we're going because 
is a very, very difficult to maintain that, that clarity. What it, you said in our last thing that clarity is like a, not, did you, I don't think you said the word dance, but it's yes. And so it's like, you're going to be clear and then you're going to be confused. You're going to be clear and then you're going to be confused. You're and and making sure that we keep our eyes on that, being able to pay ourselves properly and being able to take a profit really helps with not rushing and getting impatient and trying to grow a business unsustainably that's going to be like top heavy or not top, whatever, and, and tip over. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Exactly. You hit the nail on the head because I tell people that all the time and, <clears throat> you know, people are like, well, why can't you, I can't do as effectively for myself what I can for others. And that's the importance of communities. I have to have others that can pull out of me the things that I need to be clear. I can I can get it to a certain point, but like you said, we're human and you have to give yourself that space and grace to, for one human error and two, realizing that you do have emotions. Um, even though, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm a thug, I don't cry, but I do <laughs> at the end of the day. And so you need someone else to help you be able to do that. And, and that is the important piece, yes. Mm, wonderful. So the second thing that I think is really important that when we look at growing and scaling is when we get started, we're going to be real scrappy. Like there's a certain level of scrappiness when you're doing that, that five to nine and you're just getting started and you're doing things that are a little outside of your wheelhouse. And, you know, we're, we're investing maybe a little recklessly on our own credit cards or doing stuff because that's where we are. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, as we want to grow and scale, we really want to put standards in around the way that we behave, the way that we treat ourselves, the way that we act in our business, because, you know, when we're, when we're first getting started, we make a little reckless investment. And I don't want to say reckless, like bad, but like that, that initial investment and like whatever you're doing, where you're like, I hope this works. Right. Like I'll, when I hired my first business coach, it was $10,000 for a six month uh, coaching program. And I was making like $3,000 a month at the time. I, and I put, I borrowed all of the money. I didn't have that money. I borrowed it. And so that felt wild to me. That felt mm -hmm. real reckless. Like it, it didn't feel like a great financial decision. And that being said, I'm a great investment. So we, we, it paid off. It was fantastic, but is that same like white knuckling it, holy crap, decision-making around investments and business growth and other things. Like that's not the vibe as you grow and scale because it, it leads you to being on a bit of an emotional roller coaster. And it leads to really like chasing the next best thing and trying to like, like a lot of like shiny object syndrome you know, like, and especially like with marketing, for example, because that's usually the place where people focus when they want to scale is like lead gen and sales, right? And so one of my mentors, his name is George Bryant. He's got a, a podcast too. Actually, I was just on it. If you go on my Instagram, um, you'll probably see it. But one day I was talking with him and I was like, all right, we got to do the email list and we got to do this chat box and we can do this. And, and I could, I could do organic and we could do the paid ads. And he's looking at me and he's like, whoa. Uh. <laughs> and he looked, he like leans in. He's like, you know what? Marketing works the best, Brie. And I was like, what? Tell me your secrets. And he's like, the marketing you do pick two things and calm down. And I was like, 
uh, that seems real disappointing, George. Like I was really hoping to do 47 things. And he's like, you're not going to be successful at 47 things. You have a, you have a small team, do two things. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. Okay. And it's like, when you do less, you can dial it in. You can focus, you can clean it up and you can get something that really can last because everything that you're going to build for the first time is going to, is going to be leaky. It's going to, you're going to lose leads. You're going to not close sales. And, and that's part of the process of fine tuning it. And so when we're scrappy, it's like, we're, we don't, when you're being scrappy, you're not in that fine tune mode. And as you grow and you scale, you're going to be more effective to close the leaks and what's already working, like really dial in that lead gen strategy, really dial in that sales strategy, really dial in your deliverables, you know, really get your collections done. Like I've had clients who don't have standards around like the way that they collect their money. Like I have one client who literally found $75,000 in accounts receivable when we got into her money. And this woman is successful. She's successful. And she was worried that she wasn't going to have money to hire staff. And I'm like, you don't have money to hire staff because your standards, because she was scrappy way too long. She was doing everything on her own way too long. She needed help in her office a year ago and she didn't have the help. She was scrappy. She was doing it on her own. And, and she had the resources to have the help and, and have a higher profit margin. But it's like, the thing about it is it's scary. The thing about hiring is hiring is scary. Building a team is scary. Having response, you know, having people's livelihoods on your shoulders is scary. Um, but that's really that's really how you're going to grow. And so we want to do that really from a place of like standards and not just throwing. And listen, you're going to throw a little spaghetti at the wall. Like you're going to see what sticks. You have to try stuff to see whether it works for you. You have to do it to see whether or not you like it. Which again, very annoying if you ask me. Like very annoying because you're like, you think you're like, oh, we're going to do it this way. And then you're like, oh, actually, I don't like this. <laughs> it, mm -hmm. Actually, we're never going to sell this way again. I'm not into that. Right. And so it's this. Uh, yeah, it's really constantly like looking at and tightening your those standards of everything in your business, which is which is so interesting because that scrappy like that scrappy persona, I'm going to get it done no matter what is such a badge of honor in the, in the entrepreneurial space. And so it's like, we have to kind of put that down and be like, mm, I'm bougie. We're not, we're not doing it that way. We're getting this dialed in. We're fine tuning here. I take first class flights. We're not like, I'm not scrappy anymore. I can be scrappy. I know how to do it. I'm resourceful. But at this point, Mm, standards baby standards right that's like the whole goal of becoming an entrepreneur no normally it's like for the freedom and the opportunity to be bougie <laughs> right it's like no I have these bigger dreams and visions and in order to be able to do those things you truly have to put things down and not do all the things and yes. accept that clarity's in the doing no matter how annoying it is because it is very annoying I do agree yeah. And at this stage, this is the stage where really we master the no. You have to master the no. Like when we're first getting started, it's like, yes, to every opportunity. Yes. To every idea. Yes. We're going to try it. We're going to throw that spaghetti. We're going to see what sticks. And when you get into standards, 
the no becomes so much more important than the yes, because the no is what protects your time. The no is what protects your team. The no is what keeps you on track from getting derailed with whatever good idea you heard on the internet today. You know, mm-hmm. I'm maybe I'm talking about myself here, but I'm just saying like that no, you know that my life is well. <laughs> that those boundaries for what we do with our time and space become so so important. Yeah. Mm, love it. I love all of that. So important. You get you get very protective over your time and your talents. And you are quick, well, speaking for myself, I am quick to say no. Um, at this point, when you're right, when you're focused on the revenue, you say yes to everything because you're like, uh, $1 is better than no dollars. And you quickly learn that that's not the truth. All clients aren't the best clients and the, uh, their money isn't as good as the other. So mm, <laughs> you say yeah. no to get the perfect or the ideal client because then you have the energy to do more because you're not fighting with clients and you end up with better walking in talking billboards because they were the ideal client. So, and it's really like, if you haven't said no to a client just because you maybe don't like them, maybe it's not the best fit. Maybe you're, maybe they need too much customization to make whatever you do work. Like that is such a power move. You will feel yourself. You'll feel your standards increase when you're like, actually, I'm not the best fit for you. This isn't, I don't think this is going to be the best for you. You know, like, let me, let me recommend, I actually think you need an accountant or a divorce lawyer. Like sometimes people come see me and they're like, I hate my husband because I'll, and I'm like, so actually, uh, this is not a money problem. Yeah. So actually this isn't, which is funny. Uh, sometimes I work with couples and it's like, sometimes it's a, Sometimes it's a money problem that causes a marriage problem. And sometimes it's a marriage problem that causes a money problem. And I will only solve one of those problems. Like if it's a marriage issue, you should need to see me, come see me once your marriage is in good shape. Cause then I can work with your money. Do you know, are you with me? And so it really becomes like a, that is very, my light bulb just went off. Cause I tell people a lot of times, once you gain clarity, I see that, well, the immediate thing is you go through the shedding process, right? Whether it's family, friends, um, and normally relationships. So you either realize you married the right person or you realize you married the wrong person. And um, yeah, it's a lot of letting go of people, pay, places, per, persons or things, right? And mm. so when you said that, I was like, that totally makes all the sense in the world. Um, that is either a marriage problem or a money problem that caused a marriage problem. So yeah. Yeah. And so it's just, it's just fascinating. It's like when you start to be like, oh, no no thanks if it's like it's not that it feels good to you know not work with somebody but it feels good to stay in your own power it feels Mm -hmm. good to not let money or the potential for money have authority over you that's what that's really where that standard you're like yeah mm, that feels good making decisions for me Mm -hmm. so the third shift that you really need to make as you grow and scale is when we first start, we put our business first. And as we grow and scale, you really have to put yourself first. And I mean that in terms of like self-care. I mean it in terms of the highest production value of your time um, and the way that you treat yourself and the way that you, your relationship with the business. Like one of the shifts that's really kind of difficult to make is that we go from being scrappy and doing all the things to once we have a team, we have to like become like this eminent all mother of the, that, that attracts the land of milk and honey that everybody lives off of. 
And that means that we need to let ourselves be supported. We need to learn how to receive help. We need to learn how to receive support. We need to learn how to ask for exactly what it is that we want and need. We need to let other people please us professionally uh, and maybe in other areas of your life too. And like, and that is a very, uh, that, that shift is you're probably going to need some coaching through that. That's because you have to break down basically all of the patriarchal conditioning to become that person to like, really like step in to that role is like, like, like not just queen, but it's like the production, like you make it rain. You're the rainmaker and the rainmaker is the reason everybody else has a job. And the rainmaker is like the reason that everything flows. And so you have to treat yourself. Like if you're running low, you have a matter of weeks before your money's running well. So it's like that, that next level self-care, the next level, the way that you dress, the next level, the way that you speak and, and like, appearance is one thing but it's generally going to be like you know self-care runs in different like it's it, yourself your self-care could be your body like your appearance is a low-level self-care your body like taking care of your physical body like massages mm-hmm. chiropractic services your emotional well-being your mental well-being like your therapy your coaching whatever else but you have to really treat yourself like like you're important because you're the whole reason that all of these people have work and you've created it and so like you know, that's a, that, so really learning to put yourself first and making sure that you're well taken care of so that when, when you're nourished, you know, mind, body, soul, like nourished, then you can be that and you can grow and expand. But when you're dry and dusty and running on low, your money's going to be dusty 20 minutes later, lady. So like, but that's a, that's a thing that's, that really like you have to, what I'm talking about sounds nice. But for real, it's no small task to break down all of the social, like patriarchal conditionings, telling you to be a good girl, telling you to be an independent woman, telling you to suck it up, to get it done, to not ask for help, to not receive, you know, like, and what's so funny is that, like, really, like, business is a, is a dance between masculine and feminine energy. Like, every single human has, has the, some balance of masculine and feminine energy. And some people are much more toward the masculine, and some are much more towards the feminine, and, and that's fine. But what ends up happening in our culture and society is that our, our American women are so conditioned to be in their masculine that they literally don't know how to receive. Mm-hmm. And so then that relates to overgiving, overworking, overdelivering, undercharging, undernourished, and really running low, really running on empty, and not really receiving. And when we don't know how to receive, we deprive the people who love us of the opportunity to delight us. Mm-hmm. And that's like, um, it's just a real, it's just a real, real thing. And so, you know, I'm saying this, and it sounds like, oh, what a good problem to have, but it's, it's you have to really break down you know, you are, it's, it's, a. Uh, you kind of have to really go into your past and really look and see why do, why do I feel like I don't deserve that? Why do I feel guilty when somebody does that? Why do, why do I cringe when I say my prices? Like, why, like what's going on here? And you have to really reframe a lot of like past memories and past conditionings. Very, very true. I love that um, those that love us to light us. I always say self first isn't selfish. Mm -mm. And for people to 
really, really embody that because it feels wrong. It feels dirty and icky when you actually start to put yourself first. And I'm like, people, you want, you have the audacity to want us to accept your breadcrumbs because you choose to run on empty. When if you really did take care of self first, you could give us a five course meal. And you're wondering why we're looking at you like, I don't want that. And you're like, but I'm giving you my all because we have been conditioned to be that way and to give and give and give until we don't have anything left. So I'm constantly telling people, self first is not selfish. And to really embody that and to give from your saucer, not from your cup, so that your cup can stay full. Give from your overflow, but you have to pour into yourself to be able to even do that. So that is a real, real, real struggle for most female entrepreneurs specifically. Um, and you do have to take that time to do that mindset shift. Yeah. And it's funny. One day I was working with a hypnotherapist and I was debating about hiring a personal trainer and mm -hmm. he's listening to me talk. And like, at this point I make a lot of money. Like I can certainly afford the trainer. Like it wasn't but I, but I felt some kind of way about spending that much money on me, on this, yeah. on, on this body, you know, right? Like, oh, I'm like, well, should I just lose the weight first? Which like literally doesn't even make sense. And he's like, great. If you go to the gym, you're going to feel better. If you get an extra hour of work because you feel more energetic, the, the investment is going to pay off immediately. Like, what are you even thinking about? And it's just so funny because that hypnotherapist is a man. And so it's, he didn't have that conditioning. So when he's watching mm -hmm. me, like kind of wobble in it, he's like, what are you even talking about? The investment is well worth it. You're going to see a return immediately. Like, why are you paying me to talk about this? Like, and I was like, oh, all right. You know, and then you go and then you feel better and then you look better and then you feel more confident because you feel better and you look better and you're, you know, and like. And then that just becomes the standard. But at first, it's hard. It is very hard. So very true. And a lot of us don't even realize that it is a self-worth issue, right? Um, we feel like it is a logical, analytical numbers issue. And it's so not. It really boils down to self-worth. Mm, yeah. All And your entire relationship with money basically reflects your relationship to your own sense of worthiness. Mm. Like that's, that's like so much of my work is really reflecting back to people how amazing they are. Like, it, honestly, one of the things that breaks my heart in my work every single day is that I have these amazing clients, like women doing big work in the world. Like, like I've one, one of my clients literally got an endowment for, she runs a nonprofit organization. She's in Indianapolis. She literally changed her mindset enough that she's given her entire nonprofit team a raise. Like her, she's on the leading edge of uh, like standards for how we treat nonprofit workers because nonprofit workers are generally serving less fortunate while literally starving to death, right? And so I actually just read, she just put a post up that she, that her whole team is getting paid $18 an hour. That's like their minimum wage. And I was like, mm. love it. And it's so wild because sometimes my clients who are just so, so amazing, just like literally see their little broken bits they see the cracks they see the places where they're not successful they see their struggles they see the pat and I'm like don't you see how 
effing amazing you are don't you see but they don't and so like that's like really like so much of my work is just reflecting to them like oh hey lady you're amazing you're brilliant you're doing big work you're making you're making ripples like you're you're a gift like you know like and we're just so conditioned with like shame and guilt around things like you know, clients like not wanting to show up because they're not the right size or shape. They're like, what? And it, it's wild. I mean, I've, I've totally, I've totally like, I've, I've totally, I've, also me, just saying. Um, Listen, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is so true. And it, it is sad because, I mean, it's kind of like we were saying earlier, we can't, we can do um, for others what we sometimes can't do for ourselves same that the same thing applies there you know it's like you see the greatness in all of these other women and people then look and tell you and you're like yeah but and we deflect and it takes time to actually be able to sit in and receive a compliment sit in and then be like you know what maybe they're right and the mentality or thoughts that I have about myself or I've been told from childhood are wrong if everybody else is saying that these things are me maybe just maybe they're right yeah. So one of the next things it's really important to kind of shift and this one, this one's quick is it going from I to team. Like when we first get started, we have to put so much confidence into ourselves. We have to be able to pull it off. I can do it. I can pull it off. I can count on myself. I can, I can be in the uncertainty of growing this thing because I know that I can count on me. And as you grow, that becomes an incredibly heavy mindset. And so it's not that we want to give our confidence up um, in ourselves, but we really need to empower our team and have confidence in them the way that we have confidence in ourselves and not second guess them and not degrade them and not, you know, undo their work and redo it ourselves. You are, you know, I feel like yeah. the dishwasher is like the most common example of that. Like, hey, babe, could you load the dishwasher? And then you go look at it and I'm like, oh, I'm going to redo this dishwasher. And then, he, you know, your love is like, why do I, uh, why do I even bother with the dishwasher? Right. Also at my house, my husband is more likely to reload the dishwasher, which for years made me not ever, like, I'm like, I'll just not do the dishwasher because I'm going to do it. And then you're going to not like it. And you're going to move all the dishes. So why don't I just save myself the trouble and let you put it in the way that you want it, you know, <laughs> but that dynamic is not a dynamic that we want in our, in our team. And, and truly like, you don't really want that dynamic in your marriage either. It's really not that big of a deal about if you have to run the dishwasher twice or if, you know, like what, whatever. Um, so there's that. Then the, the next thing I think is really, really juicy. Uh, it's the shift from mindset to like a body set. And so here, here's the thing about growing and expanding. At first we have to get our minds wrapped around this. And so it getting to six figures, starting your business, there's a ton of mental work to do, but mental work will only get you so far because your body has to go along for the ride. And so, so much of us have to, there's, there's conditioning to get our body to feel safe in these new, I like to call them like emotional temperatures, right? And so like, if we grew up in, let's say if we grew up poverty or lower middle-class, there's a very, there's a temperature to that, right? It feels nervous. It feels like scarcity. It feels like not enough. There's a lot of fear. Well, if we want to be wealthy, you know, that temperature feels like safety and security and money in the bank and, um, a little luxury. And those are two really, really different temperatures. And so even though our conscious mind is like, yeah, that second one sounds way better. Our body is like, uh, well, listen, 
So the thing is, is I know how to do this. Like the, your subconscious brain who's in charge of your body is like, I know exactly how to survive here. I know exactly how to make a dollar out of 15 cents. I know exactly how to stretch this. I know exactly how to do this. The first time you buy yourself a first class plane tickets and you sit in front and you watch everybody go by, you will feel resistance very likely. I mean, maybe you'll be one of those people who's just like already ready, just in it to win it. But most of us like that, that emotional temperature and being seen differently, being seen mm -hmm. differently, you know, that is all stuff that we, that are, will feel very unsafe in our body. And so as you grow and you scale, you will get to a point where you start to plateau out and that's the place where you have to really shift your coaching focus. Like most, most entrepreneurs have some sort of coach or in some sort of masterminds, but this is the place where you have to start to look at your body, your nervous system, your like, honestly, like your past trauma is going to come up as you scale. Like your past trauma is going to come up as you scale. And so, and we all have trauma. Um, and that, like, that's just like, that's a thing, but you're not going to solve that in your mind. It's not a mind issue. It's really a body issue. And so a lot of times people are, are get deeper and deeper into their mindsets. They go to more and more like high ticket coaching and, uh, whatever else when really it, it starts to become a body issue. And so that's something very important to notice because your nervous system has to, you're, you, you literally want to take your physical body onto that airplane and your mind doesn't pay the consequence to your body. Like your conscious mind is like, Oh, the body's upset about something. And your body will be like, listen, get me out of here. Right. So it's like, the, the example I like to give that I think really brings this home is like, you can get like, let's say you're going to go into your boss's office and ask for a raise. I think this is a, this is a mm, situation we've probably all been through. Yeah. And in your mind, you're like, here are the 52 reasons I deserve a raise. Here's the comps based on what other, you know, da, da, da. here, you know, here's, mm. here's all of the reasons mental. Okay. And then you sit in, you sit in your office with your butthole puckered for like three weeks <laughs> about the appointment with the boss because your your body is so afraid to go and ask ask for the thing your voice your voice quivers yeah. your your body squirms mm -hmm. your hands get sweaty and so like that's i think like a very nice easy example to be like my mind is on board with this 100% and my body eh, not so much and so you have to get the body on board to be able to grow and scale because self sabotage is always a subconscious thing. Like nobody's consciously like, well, it's Tuesday and I'm going to undo all the work I did yesterday with my self-sabotaging. You know, that, that's not a conscious mind function. It's a subconscious mind function. And so when we push our body into places where it's afraid, it's um, very likely the, the, the subconscious will get in a fight, get hurt, get sick, drop drop something, break something, lose our passwords, spill coffee on our computer, like whatever it takes for us to not do this thing that scares us so much. And so really, as you grow in scale, you have to shift out of that mind. Like, and it's not shift out of mindset, but it's make sure that you add in that component to make sure that your body's ready, willing, and able to come along for the journey. And it's really like, you got to re you have to stretch your nervous system's ability to hold emotions. That's a ton of the work that I do with my clients is because like, you could get there in your mind, your mind will, your mind will get to the good stuff way before your nervous system. Yeah, that is so very true. I don't know if you've watched, um, 
Umbrella Academy on Netflix, but I binged the new episode recently. But basically, um, they're these superpower kids and their awful father places them in positions that causes their subconscious to want to run away, to want to self-sabotage. And he's trying to push them past that in order to get them comfortable or acclimated in such spaces that they will be able to use their superpower um, to the best of their ability. And that's what I kept thinking about as you were saying, push past, right? Sitting in first class and your body is just totally freaking out as people walk by and look at you in a different manner. Um, But placing yourself in those positions that are going to cause you to level up and your subconscious is trying to fight you to keep you back in your normal, right? And you're like, no, this can be a safe place too. I survived this and first class felt good. And I love the drinks and the food (laughs) and getting off the plane first, you know? So yeah, that is a perfect, perfect, perfect analogy um, and reality that we don't realize because you don't realize your subconscious is taking over um, and you just start to do the things that cause you to stay in here and not move forward. And that's generally where you'll see patterns show up. So like, you know, so sometimes clients will have like patterns of big losses like they'll get to certain pinnacles of success and then lose it all and then get to a certain pinnacle of success lose it all like generally you'll see patterns patterns happening at the edges of where your body can tolerate and so it's really important to be aware of that and to be gentle with yourself um, as you go and grow but that's that's the place where you know um you know, more books about mindset, more books about, like, it's really an embodiment practice that's, that's really necessary to get you past, but mindset, but listen, I want to say mindset work is really, really important in the beginning part of a journey. In the beginning part of a journey, you have to look at your belief structures, that your judgments, everything that you think is right and wrong, and really rewire that. So that way your, your brain is able to imagine, your brain is able to desire, brain is able to formulate these plans, but then the body's got to get on board with doing the actions and is like, so like, I'll tell you like for myself, so I'm working on a book and I am really hoping this book's going to be a New York times bestseller. And so the, the, the marketing for a New York times bestseller is probably going to be 150 podcasts and as many TV interviews as I can possibly get. Well, that means I'm going to have to be seen by hopefully a million people. That is still to me, a little terrifying. Yeah. That is a little terrifying. And so like we think about the New York Times bestseller list and we're like, oh, it's such a sexy goal. And then we look at what we actually would have to do to get there. And we're like, yeah. oh girl, oh no, that is so scary. What if somebody comes and kidnap your kids? What if they tell you your hair's wrong? What if they call you fat on TV? Like, you know, right. and it's like- All of the horrible things flood. That flood like, if I'm going to be loved and accepted and praised for my work, people are going to scrutinize it. People are going to scrutinize me. I'm going to be looked at. I'm going to be exposed, called out. Some people are going to hate my ideas. They're going to think they're stupid. They're going to think I'm full of nonsense. And like both of those things are like going to be on the dish that I'm going to have to eat if I'm going to really do that. And so that's where that's really like 
where that next level comes in is that embodiment piece, that stretching of your nervous system's capacity to be able to experience life. You know, most of us have a very small comfort zone because we actually really like our, our ability to manage our feelings is actually very small. Our emotional range is very small. And so we have to stretch that emotional range for, for literal sensations in our body. We're willing to tolerate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh my goodness. And I know that I'm probably over on time, but the last one is really like the, the embodiment of whatever your next level is. And this for me was the most abstract concept. Like, I'd be like, what do you mean embody? What do you mean to embody this? Like, cause I was, I was so in a mindset for such a long time that I was like, embody. Mm-hmm. I'm a queen in my mind. What do you mean? But it's like, putting on the different personas and having them in your, in your body. But it's, so when we're growing and expanding and we're figuring out who we need to be, to be our next level self embodiment of next level leadership or um, whatever, you know, coaching or whatever the thing we do is next level. I don't know, Baker, whatever, whatever the thing you do is, is that's, it, it fits right in to being able to, to do the body work. So like the last point we talked about, it's, you know, there's a shift that happens again out of acting from you, just your mind and not mm-hmm. being the thing, not mm-hmm. like, you know, and then really being the thing, because when we're yeah. incongruent, it makes it very difficult to sell. So like, um, you know, so if, this is, listen, and I want to, I want to say this because I think it's important. I don't have a perfect relationship with money. I don't, I'm not a bazillionaire and that doesn't impede my ability to help you, right? Like I had a doctor for a long time who was a, a fat old man and he helped me to be more healthy and helped me to, to do whatever else he did. I didn't need him to be perfect for him to help me be better. Right. And so I want to say that 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 that's an important thing, because that's a big, big hang up that we get Mm -hmm. as we grow. We're like, oh, I'm not perfect. My business isn't perfect. How can I help people with their businesses? And it's like, listen, you don't need somebody else to be perfect for them to help you be better. That's that's nonsense. But as we want to grow and expand, we have to embody the thing that looks to be to, to not just looks to be successful, but we have to embody that next level of success. So it's like recently. I threw away all of my like college hoodies, my t-shirts from 2007. And I bought myself, you know, a lot of new clothes. Why? Because here I am showing up as this abundance coach, helping people scale to seven figures. And in my mind, not that you can't do it in a t-shirt and I do wear t-shirts and I'm not always, I'm not always super put together. Um, But in my mind, I want to show up looking like somebody who's abundant and successful as I am. Like Mm -hmm. I want to show, I want to be as successful as I am. I want to appear as successful as I am. I want to speak as successful as I am. And so that's really like that embodiment piece. And the way that I kind of play with this is like, it's almost like acting. Like that's how, that's how I started doing it is like, let me like really close my eyes and feel into that like queen energy because your queen energy she holds the standard. So that kind of takes us back to point two. So like, you'll see that if you're like, "Mm, let me be the queen for a minute. What does the queen think about your lead gen strategy? And she's like, "Mm -mm, nope, this could be better. This could be better. This could be better. And when you're in your queen, you're going to very clearly see that because the queen holds the standards for your life. 
right? That royalty, that sovereign holds the standards. And so like, okay, cool. And then like, sometimes I have this inner badass and like, I take her out when I got a ton of shit to do. Like when I really have a lot of work to do, her name's Scarlett. Actually, I feel like I'm dressed like Scarlett today. You know, she wears wears lipstick and high heels and she's the snappy one who gets it done. And then sometimes I have this really open, like beautiful, soft, feminine energy. And she's very attractive. Scarlett gets a lot of work done. She's not very attractive. She's a little scary, to be honest. You know, like she really is. Like you don't like you don't want to tell her no. You don't want to get in her way. She's on a mission. But like when I'm in that soft, feminine, attractive mode, like that's when I do my videos. That's when I write my emails. When I'm like, mm, what mm-hmm. what secret sauce are we going to share with the world today? Mm. Scarlett is not concerned about the secret sauce. She right. is. Bottom line, let's get it done. Yeah, she's getting the work done. And so being knowing and embodying these different parts of you, and it, you kind of have to play with it. Like, you don't want to get too serious about this. Don't get nuts about it. But you want to play with these different personas for yourself. So that way you have the ability to know what embodiment is. Because it's it, embodiment is not a mental game. It's like if I was to explain to you an orgasm, if I was to be like, well, it's a sexual function where the genitalia does this and this and you're like okay cool amazing. yeah but then you you embody that and it, it's like the the mental definition is like mar, 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 mar. the experience is like oh, oh that's nice right but so learning to practice that is really something that you again you have to learn how to embody in your body it's not a mental practice and I, I don't know if other people maybe struggled with this, but for such a long time, I was trying to grasp this in my mind. I was like, what is embodiment? And I was trying, and it was like, I was using the wrong language to try mm-hmm. to understand this. Like I was in my mind and it was like, when you're in your masculine and you're just in your, your brain and you're not, you don't have any of your energy in your body and everything's like all up top. And you're like, but why isn't it working? And you're like, <laughs> it's not you're, missing, yeah. you're missing the point lady. And yeah. so- that was, that was like a trick that I had was like, mm, let me just be the queen for a minute and kind of feel into it. And just like pretending to be a queen, like literally like playing house, like we did when we were kids, like kids embody when they play house, like you would act different if you were the mom or the baby and that's mm-hmm. the embodiment. Mm-hmm. And so like, that was like a whole big thing that I had to really learn like that. It's not like fake it till you make it, but it's kind of like being the thing that you want to be. I call it exploration, right? So like as kids, we're exploring, we're playing house and we're, you know, doing all the things. You're that's your exploration phase and you without judgment allow yourself to freely do what your mind takes you on a journey to do, right? So you can play house and it lends you to um a lot of realizations that empower you to be who you're going to be as an adult. Um, and a lot of times those are interrupted, you know, you're now five years old, you should be doing da 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 stop playing with, you know. Um, and then when you circle back to that as an adult, you embody the judgment and not allow yourself to go on that journey again. And I always think of like Beyonce, Sasha Fierce, when she goes on stage, right? She has to become, and then she's also Queen B, but then she's also Beyonce. And now she also has Beyonce. So she has- Who's that? Different- I don't know that one. Beyonce is, Beyonce is my favorite. Beyonce is like, um, she's like, 
She's the one that has the the grill fangs, the diamond encrusted fangs, the short blunt bob, and she's still sexy and she's still powerful, but she can, she can blend in in any environment. And she's the one that's like ruling sexy. She's like the really, really, really sexy one. Oh, all right. Okay. 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 I'm into it. All right. Yes. I always, I, I, I love Beyonce. Love her. Yes. Love, love, love. And so, yeah, I love her Yonce personification. Um, But I love how she bounces back and forth to allow herself to let her body, right, be in those positions and be in those places and survive that. Because just regular Beyonce, the girl from Texas, that's kind of like, huh, I'm gonna sit back here, right? Yeah, I mean, um, if you really think of the level of sensation that your nervous system would have to handle to be on stage, lights blinding you in front of a massive, massive crowd of people screaming at you, I mean, it yeah. sounds very exciting, but I mean, that is at the same be time, it's very terrifying, scary. terrifying. Yeah. And so, if you had this whole persona, Sasha, who can go out there and rock it and do the things and do the dance, and she's and in- and untouchable. It, yeah. Yeah. And then, and, you know, you tell Sasha, she's, her hair's terrible or she's too fat or she's off key or whatever. And she's like, I'm amazing. I don't know. But you might say that to regular Beyonce, who's just the regular human. And she'd be like, am I, was I right? Key? And Sasha Fierce is like, your ears are off key. Yeah. You're wrong. You're, you're it's you. Yeah. It's your problem. Bye. that part exactly exactly oh my goodness this has been so amazing like so absolutely amazing because this is definitely um I feel like anybody at any level of entrepreneurship or even just thinking about entrepreneurship can relate to these things because it's life at the same time they just roll over um and affect your money when (laughs) you apply to business um and so I guess my last and final question is how do because I know you work with people who are at six figures. How do they prepare to be the person to work with you? Because I know everybody's going to be like, oh my God, I need her in my life. Um, But they're not at that point. So what are some suggestions that you may have to get them prepared to be your perfect client? So honestly, they want to sharpen those skills to get them to to six figures at six figures. Listen, from getting to zero six figures, you do have to do some mindset work, but really the skills that you really want to get are going to be your lead gen. They're going to be your sales skills. They're going to be your deliverables. They're going to be tightening that stuff up because then once you have those skills, then it's really just getting you off to the moon, but there's no amount of mindset work. There's no amount of embodiment work that is going to help you to make money. If you can't sell you have to be able to sell. You have to have those lead gen strategies in. So like a lot of times in the coaching world, we talk about mindset, we talk about these hangups, we talk about our past trauma. And it's like, lady, you you don't have sales skills. You need to literally learn how to sell this thing. Your offers aren't, your offers are are weak. They don't sell results. You know, your, your offer doesn't convey enough value to justify your price. That's why it's not selling. So it's certain, like, until six figures, you really want to be focused so much on those technical business skills, like being able to write your emails, learning how to tag and segment your like your email list, learning how to sell, um, 
making sure your deliverables are there, tightening that sort of stuff up. Because then once, once you have those business skills, like those hard, those hard business skills, not the soft skills, then the soft skills come in and they can take you to the moon. But working on soft skills before you have the hard skills, you can if you're in your own way. And it's a and it's always a balance. There's always a balance of like, what do I need to work on to be able to do this? And so like, for example, like I had to get over guilt around charging for stuff to be able to charge for stuff. And so that was a soft skill that I needed to be able to implement sales skills I already had. My sales skills weren't coming. My sales skills were being like deadened in the wall, like, like blasted by the fact that I was delivering my sales full of guilt. Yeah. And so like, it's a, it's a, it's a dance, but a lot of times people want to really like think that they're going to journal their way to a million dollars and uh, super unfortunate, again, very annoying if you ask me, but that's not the case. Like, and so it's, it's those like business skills gets you to, will get you to six figures and really like you don't need to be enlightened to get to six figures. Like you don't need to be doing the deepest of work. You just need to be taking the actions. You want to really scale. There's a certain level of personal, spiritual, emotional growth that needs to happen. Um, and that's where people can come see me. But it's like before then, it's really, it's really about like the hard, like the hard skills and then the soft skills to make sure that you have the ability to pull off the, it's like a dance. If you, I, I'm, I'm, um, this is a podcast. So, but it's like, I have my hands up and it's, I'm just making dancing nonverbals here. <laughs> so that's, that's really the thing. And I mean, I honestly love to work with clients who, who come to the table with some self-awareness um, mm. because when you're already looking at yourself, that mirror that I could provide is super, super helpful. But if you're not willing to look at yourself, then having a mirror is honestly, and can, like, it's not helpful. Like if you're not willing to do, to, to do the things, but when you're, when you're in the space of getting to your first six figures, it's lead gen and sales and deliverables. Like it's, it's, a, it's a, really it's sales. Like you need to learn how to sell. And that, that is a skill that you need to be like, not just a little bit good at, like you need to be really good at it. Um, no matter, no matter how you sell or what you sell, like, but you have to believe in whatever it is you do so hard that like, you wouldn't say this out loud. You would think it nicely to yourself quietly. But when somebody is like, no, I don't want your thing. Like you need to be able to mentally be like, they're an idiot. And it's not that they're actually an idiot, but that's, you need to have that belief so strong that you're like, that's on them. It's not on my offer. It's not on my pricing. It's not on my structure. It's not on my deliverables. It wasn't on my sales presentation. It wasn't on my legion strategy. I've done everything right. If it's not for them, it's not for them. Bless and release. But if you're wishy-washy and you're like, well, was my legion not right? Was my sales not good enough? Was my deliverables not there? Was my price wrong? You're, you're not going to, you're going to have a tough time. So you need to get to that place where like those technical skills are so that when somebody is like, Hey, not right for me. You're like, okay, cool. Like I am taking zero from that. And at yeah. first, and the thing about that is at first, you're not going to have that because at first you're going to need that feedback. You're mm -hmm. going to need that feedback at first, you know, like at first, if you're getting price objection after price objection, after price objection, something you got to look at your offer. You've got to look at your sales. You've got to look at your deliverables. You've got to look at what you're selling. If you're, if the results aren't there, if you're getting price objection after price, you know, like at first it, you need the feedback, but then you get to a place where you're like, okay, cool. 
everything's dialed yeah. in. If it's not right for you, okay, I'm not changing anything about what I've got because it works. Exactly, exactly. You know, that it takes some practice to get to that point. Um, but yeah, yeah. Once you get there and you truly believe in in your stuff, then you're good to go. Um, you're really good to go. So I know you you have a timeline to get on. I do have a few questions that I would like to ask you. Please. Um, let's see here. I should have had these already pulled up, but I was so um, engulfed in today's conversation because it's so, so good. Okay. Um, and so the first question that I ask everybody is, what is something that you've had to accept about your past, present, or future to equip you to reach the level of success that you would like in your business? Mm. I had to accept that I am a predator. Like, um, like, and I don't mean that in like a like a ferocious kind of way, but like the thing is, is I will, I, I'm going to get what I want no matter what. And that like really puts it like a nice, like, I'm like the way that I do stuff is like, you know, for a long time I was a stockbroker and I, and I was selling, but from this place of like, no, I don't want too much. I was like a skinny starving lion. And it's like, that's not healthy. Like I am a, I am a lion and I, I know my business is sheep to shark, but like, if I had an animal, I'd be a lion and I'm sure shit not going to be like a skinny starving lion where you could see its ribs. Like that's what I am. And so I had to like really accept that about myself because I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to be that person who was a salesperson. I didn't want to be that person who, who was like, and I'm not ruthless in any kind like I'm but like I'm 100% getting what I want and mm -hmm. if you're not helping me like it's cool get out of the way like I'm I'm 100% doing what I want and I had to accept that about myself because it was I was watering myself down and being so wishy-washy before I'd embraced the fact that like I'm powerful and I'm going to do big things and I'm doing it the way that I want to do it and I'm not abiding by these these social contracts and I'm not playing myself small and I'm not I'm not dimming for anybody else's comfort. And that before I'd accepted that about myself, I was a skinny lion. Sorry about making sales. I was a skinny lion. Sorry about charging what I charge that, that, I, and I'm like, I'm over that. If you, if the, if it's not right for your budget, that's fine. If it's not right, if, you know, like, I don't owe you affordability. Like, and I'm so at this point, I'm super comfortable to say that at this point where like, when I first started, they're like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry that I have to eat food and feed my children and pay my mortgage. I wish I could do it with, I wish I could just do this for free. But like, I don't, <laughs> I don't wish that. I, I like what I like. I like having nice things. I like making a lot of money. I, I like paying my team well. I like travel. I like luxury and I'm not sorry about it. Yeah, all of all of those words. Yes, 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 and yes. And and yeah, mm -hmm. all that. Okay, because <laughs> I was about to go on a tangent. I was like, nope, focus to Tia. So, okay, next question. As cliche as it sounds, what's one thing you have to believe to achieve? That you're worth it, that you're good enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's as simple as that. It's that you're worth it. It's that you're good enough, that you have something to give. 
I love, 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 love. Um, how has embracing all parts of you um, contributed to your success or equipped you to do what you do? And I ask this question because a lot of times, especially with my multi-passionates, we, we've been trying so hard for so long to fit in that we put a piece of us over there and we're like, no, we're just gonna, and we need to embrace all of us. So like for me, I had to embrace I love doing events. I love throwing parties. And so I try to make everything in my business borderline a party because if it's fun, then I'm going to enjoy everything about it, right? Um, and so that's that's like the premise of that question. So like embracing all aspects of you um, to, to reach that level of success. Can you say the initial question again? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> how has embracing all aspects of you contributed to your success or equipped you to do what you do? It's about power. Every aspect of yourself that's not accepted is a drain in your personal power. It's a drain in your money. It's a drain in your success. So every single bit of you that you love and accept exactly as it is like, and these are broken little nasty bits. Like you have to like really love and accept like the slutty part of you, the part of you who's pathetic, the part of you who needs help, the part of you who can't figure it out, like these things that are just so hard. But like, once you have all of those in your conscious mind, fully loved and accepted, you are a powerhouse. And before that, you're somebody who's, who's going to be wishy-washy and not. So every, like, it's funny, like, I feel like the work of life is learning to love and accept yourself. I don't think it's a place that you're going to get to. And I certainly don't think it's a place that you're going to get to in a year or in a first stage of business or anything. I think it's a lifetime of work because you're always going to be growing and evolving and you're always going to have to be looking at yourself and loving, accepting everything, but it's about power. It's about your ability to hold power and not be, not get grossed out by these, these parts of you that aren't socially acceptable. So the more, the, like the more I love and accept myself, the more powerful I am. The more good, the more good stuff I can hold and have. Yeah. And the more you have, the more you can do for all of my givers out there who are, you know, starving to try to give somebody something that you don't have. The more you have, the more you can give. And so those of you who have, you know, this, this concept around being wealthy and, you know, only bad people or gross people or savage people, that is so not true. Like money makes the world go round. It is a, a thing and an aspect of life. And the more you have, the more you can give. And so that power word is very, very important and embracing all aspects of yourself. Love it. Okay. So before we tell the good people where they can find you, are there any um, people you've already mentioned, one of your mentors that you would like to shout out that's helped you along your journey? I think this plays on to the last question. I've had a lot of mentors, um, but I think for your people in the on the the loving and accepting yourself journey, there's a a book by Dr. Carolyn Elliott called Existential Kink, and it is for me. It's she's a little witchy, so if that doesn't um, if that doesn't fit for you, you might not like it. I'll just I'll just drop that there. But she's also very funny, and she talks about that shadow work, the loving and accepting of the patterns that we don't like, the loving and accepting of the sensations that we don't like. And it, that book for me was the biggest game changer because I, I like, like, I'm a money coach. I, my relationship with scarcity is a little extra because I have my own life. I have my own money junk. I have my own business finances, personal finances. And then I'm in the depths of all of my client scarcity. 
with them. So my relationship with scarcity is just a little intense. It's just a little much, right? Because that's the nature of what I do. And I'm, and it, for the longest time, I thought I hated scarcity. I thought it, it, I, I thought it was the worst. I thought I was doing something wrong, but every time scarcity shows up in my life, that ugly, that ugly vibe in my mind, it looks like, you know, those, um, those two little eels from the, the little mermaid, that's what scarcity looks like to me. Flops them and jets them. Scarcity shows up and it's like, this shows up and it swims around me. And every single time that ugly little eel of a vibe shows up, it brings me a gift every single time it shows up and it brings me something good. And it brings me something I wouldn't have found. And so like, come to find out my relationship with scarcity is actually kind of beautiful. And it's a huge part of what makes me successful. And I didn't, and I had been rejecting it and not loving it and not seeing it and thinking it was wrong and bad, but like, really, it's why I'm good at what I do. It's why I'm good at what I do. And then, so like Dr. Carolyn Elliott's book helped me to really see the, the just hilariousness of being a human. Mm. And uh, cause it's like, so funny. It's like, like sometimes we on a subconscious level want things that we don't want on our conscious level. So it's like, you ever have a, a girlfriend who has the same flavor of crappy boyfriend over and over and over again? You're like, dude, Joe is the same flavor, is the same, is the same flavor of player that Mike was, who was the same flavor of, of deceptive jerk face that like, it's, and you're like, so maybe you actually just love this. Yeah. Maybe, maybe this is, this is a game that you're playing with yourself. And it's, and so if you, when you see these things as wrong and bad, it's so painful to be a human. But when you're like, actually, maybe I just, maybe I just like on a kinky subconscious level, maybe there's just some part of me who actually really loves being disrespected. Cause there's sensations that come with that. And when we look at, when we, when we do that body work piece, and that's why we have to get out of the mindset piece, maybe the sensation of, bot, of like being disrespected actually is a familiar place for you. It's actually a thing that you like. So for me, scarcity was like a therm- scarcity for me is a familiar place. And I, and for the longest time, I thought I hated it, but the truth is that I don't, it's very exciting. It's, it's, it's a, uh, and, and my ability to tolerate it is what makes me good at my job. And so like seeing that was the, one of the, the big, big things around that. And so like that work helped me to see that, like, I'm a predator. I'm a, like, I read uh, the Wolf of Wall Street's book and he's, mm-hmm. because I was like, if, if I can't love this dude, there's no way I'm going to be able to love my sales enough. Like if I can't love this ruthless kind of skeezy not kind of like super, super scumbag dude for his sales abilities. I mean, like he misused his power, but then he turned it around and he did great work, right? Like he's, he's doing sales coaching and helping people change the world and helping people make money. But at first he did it wrong, which is like part of his process. It's part of the journey. But if that's the thing about all of our gifts, it's like insight, for example, I'm super insightful. That's, that's the gift I give to my clients. My insight is sharp. It is incredibly sharp and I'm surgical with it. And so when I'm kind, I'm a surgeon to your psyche and to your emotions. But 100%, I can be cruel with that gift. 100%, I can be unkind with it. And when when you don't have that cruel part of you loved and embraced, she comes out 
when you don't want her. No, no. And so I had to like, look and see like that insight, like is is a tool that I have. It's, it's a gift. And I had to love the part of me who's cruel. So that way I have some control over when I. Yeah. So that way I have some some control. (laughs) So that way I wouldn't just like be at a party, say, see something that's the truth, drop it sharply and hurt somebody's feelings. Right. Like, mm-hmm. cause you don't want to, that's not who I want to be that I want people to feel loved and appreciated in my presence. I don't want them to feel nervous or like I'm an unsafe person, but I had mm-hmm. to love the part of me that was cruel to get there. And so Dr. Carolyn Elliott's book called existential kink really helped me do that. Um, really helped me see those things. So that was my mentor. That was my mentor. Thank you. Definitely adding that one to the audible. Um, so yeah, I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And so let the people know how they can find you um, so they can keep up to date and whenever they're ready, actually come and join your, your tribe. Beautiful. I'm Sheep to Shark on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And there's a ton of videos. There's a, there's a ton of content that's available for free um, on like YouTube, Facebook, and we have some stuff on Instagram too, but not as, not, a, not as much content on Instagram. So you could find me any of those places and I would be happy to have you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All of that will be in the show notes. And I thank you for your time and your talents. This has been so, so, so good. I mean, I really could talk to you longer, but I know you have things to do. So <laughs> thank you again. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode and took notes. If not, go back and listen again after you grab some pen and paper. Bree provided a wealth of information. And if you're looking to find her and play with her, her favorite platform is Facebook. The link to find her is in the show notes. So go check her out, go join her group and show her some love. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Confident and Courageous Clarity Podcast. I hope you'll come back next week and join us for some more. And I'll see you back here, same time, same place next week.